Behind me said where uh, Bormanism. <laughs> he said Bormanism. It's a new word in our vocabulary. Welcome, I'm Sean McCraney, your host, and great to have all these students, handsome, good-looking uh, students from Biola University Christians. They have a spokesman here with us, one of the guys who helped uh, get this group together, Stephen. How you doing, my friend? We're doing good. We're just a group of students from Biola University, and we love Jesus. Yeah! yeah! Thanks for being on, you guys. God bless you in your endeavors. All right. We praise the true and living God for uh, allowing us to participate in this ministry. May he be uh, with you and uh, us tonight. Uh, Heart of the Matter can be seen right now from anywhere in the world through live streaming video. You can also uh, go to our archives and watch any past program, www.hotm.tv. Join us this uh, as we seek to support the Salt Lake City Rescue Mission. Uh, who feeds and clothes the homeless. How can you help bring new socks in their wrappers and newer, uh, nearly new winter coats for males and females to the station between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Monday through Friday? We'll take them over in bulk to the mission. So far, we've had great success with a number of people uh, going out and bringing in coats, and it's just a wonderful thing, so we praise God for that. Hey, we hold church deconstructed every Sunday, God willing. 10 a.m. in the uh, morning is the milk gathering. 2.30 p.m. is what we call meat. Uh, child care is available. Expect uh, the teaching at the milk and at the meat to be uh, uh, commensurate with their title. You want more information, go to www.campus, C-A-M-P-U-S, with hyphens in between the letters, .com. Also on Sundays, you can hear replays of Heart of the Matter on AM820, The Truth an excellent Christian radio station here in the state of Utah, AM 820, The Truth, uh, 1 p.m. to 2 p.m., Heart of the Matter replays on Sunday. We're also producing a brand new television program called The X-Files. It's hosted by Bishop Earl, and will begin to air February of 2012. Take a look. I was married when I was 18 years old, married in the Manti Temple. Everything in my house with my parents was based on going to church. Pretty much a lifetime Mormon. Where you know, got baptized when I was eight. Seminary, participated in the student ward. You don't search, you don't study. You know, you look at and listen to the approved curriculum of the LDS faith. I tried to attend all my meetings and I always felt 
my life fell short. But I do feel that I have a very personal relationship with Jesus Christ now. It's, it's nothing like I ever felt in the Mormon church. Whenever I tell them that I'm no longer a Mormon, um, it's difficult to talk about it with them because they don't want to know. They don't want to know why I've left. Uh, they acknowledge that I've left, but they don't want to know why. I have the hope that it's not all on my shoulders anymore. I don't have to be absolutely perfect. It's never going to be enough. It's all on him for, and what he did for me. You know, went to the bishop one day. And so I said, well, I'm drinking coffee. And he said, well, as long as you're drinking coffee, you can't be baptized. I thought, okay, well, you know, what does drinking coffee have to do with, you know, having faith in Christ? I believe the Mormon church is based on lies. You, you feel lost, you feel hopeless, you feel frustrated because you're never, you're never gonna, you know, live the law, fulfill the law, so to speak. I mean, I live the li my life the best I can, but I know that it's, it's never gonna be enough. Is there life after Mormonism? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a life of freedom. I have more of a drive now to try and follow what he has taught. He saved me. He died for my sins. He justified me so that I can be in God's presence again. We need people who were once LDS and are now uh, born-again Christians. Uh, we prefer, we hope we can get people who have been Christian for a while, who really have come to understand the difference between being a Latter-day Saint and being a regenerated Christian. If you're interested in that, please go to www.exmormonfiles.tv and uh, Bishop Earl will get in touch with you and... Uh, get all that worked out. Recently, we've had a number of complaints about there being too many announcements at the beginning of each show. One woman said that this is reminding her of the sacrament meetings that she used to sit through. Uh, please try and remember, this is a TV show. It's not a church service. And uh, our purpose uh, for existing is to let our viewers in on things that uh, may assist them in their exit from Mormonism and also to serve the community to some extent. And these things include uh, church services, ambassadors living near them, new shows, programs, even products, books, t videotapes. And uh, so simultaneously, we hope they support the ministry and we have to do this. It's, it's part of the administration to keep the ministry going so we can provide information. Hope you understand that. All right. How about a moment from the word? Those of you just joining us, we're going through the Bible, uh, kind of just touching. We started in Matthew, we're in John now. We're just touching on those major categories that differ between biblical Christians and uh, the LDS. Last week we read in John 3, 1 through 3, where Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and uh, the Lord said to him, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We pointed out some themes about the need to be born again, the LDS myth of uh, pre-mortal existence, and the fact that birth is always a singular event and one, uh, not one that takes a lifetime, as the LDS often uh, suggests. Well, let's read on and hear Nicodemus' response to what the Lord said to him about being born again. Uh, verse 4, Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
See, Nicodemus took Jesus' spiritual imperative, you must be born again, and related it to physical things, the literal birth of a man from his mother. So he says to Jesus, hey, how, do I, how can I be born again? Do I crawl back in my mother's womb and then come back out? Now, there's two important things to consider from this. First, Nicod like we said, Nicodemus understood the Lord's teaching to be something physical, uh, something natural, literally being born again through his birth mother. Secondly, Jesus was speaking of a non-material birth, a spiritual rebirth, which did not involve the possibility or practicality of another physical birth. So why is that important? Because the Lord is only likening spiritual rebirth to natural birth. So listen to how Jesus responds to Nicodemus thinking rebirth included material birth. Jesus answers that verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Why does Jesus list two births here in response? Unless a man be born of water, there's one birth, and of the spirit, two births, when he said a man must be born again, referring only to this one singular birth. This is very important. You see, there are a number of factors that make clear understanding of what Jesus is saying here difficult if they aren't understood. First, Jesus' earthly ministry was, when he was on earth walking around, was only to the house of Israel. And it would only go to non-Jews after Acts chapter 10 and long after he himself ascended into heaven. Secondly, the Lord was speaking to a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee. And uh, his response was fitted both to his earthly mission, to the house of Israel, and to this Jew of Jews, this Pharisee. Third, Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Everything he said would be in compliance to it, in reference to it, and in fulfillment of it. You got all that background? So to pick up these passages, as the LDS are want to do, read them in English and state that they mean a person must be baptized in water uh, to be born again is, is like a person walking out into the Pacific Ocean for the first time in their life, putting their head under the water, looking around, seeing sand and water, getting up, walking out and saying, there's no fish in the Pacific Ocean. It's a really limited experience and exposure to read it in English and say it means baptism and it means uh, giving, getting the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's far more important information to the storyline than uh, that needs to be considered. Finally, because Jesus is the master teacher, he is addressing all parties involved, the Jews um, who are with him and the Gentiles who will be reading these teachings later. All right. Therefore, his teachings incorporate aspects that amazingly apply to all men equally. Okay, so first, let's see what Jesus is saying here to Nicodemus, Jew of the Jews. The emblematic symbol of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was the washing of water. Uh, it was a picture of the Spirit of God cleansing a person who was seeking to live the law of God. When someone in the Old Testament was washed or baptized in water, they were making a solemn promise to renounce idolatry, to take the God of Israel as his God, and to attempt to live a life in conformity to divine law. But the water which was used was only an emblem of the Holy Spirit whom Jesus promised to send in the future. Water is one thing as a type, but the Spirit is the only thing as the fulfillment of the type. See, when John the Baptist came baptizing with water, he clearly states that this type of symbolic washing was not going to suffice. 
He said in Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Listen, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In other words, that which was a type for the Holy Spirit to the Jews, water baptism, while good, would not suffice, and in the end really meant nothing, if baptism of the Holy Spirit didn't occur. To support this, listen to what Jesus says now in response. Whether we're talking about our first physical birth, or Jewish ablutions in water, or Gentile rites of religious baptism, Jesus says to Nicodemus, listen, this is what he says back, that which is born of flesh is flesh. Speaking of water rites, water birth, even, even water ablutions the Jews did, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again, referring to spiritual rebirth of the Holy Spirit moving in. Then to show uh, fleshly birth or rites have nothing to do with organized religion or man or their rights, um, Listen to what he says. It's very clear in verse eight. The wind blows where it wants and you hear the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it comes or where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the spirit or so is everyone that is born again. It's talking about spiritual regeneration that comes by virtue of belief, God bestowing it upon a person. They are born again and it's spirit. it has nothing to do with the water rights. Um, when it comes to the LDS, they plainly and errantly state that being born again comes by and through religious ordinances. Listen to what Joseph Smith said. Being born again comes by the Spirit of God through ordinances. Ordinances. That's how you get it. Teachings of the Prophet, page 162. Jesus says you can't tell when or where the Holy Spirit's going to work. You can see its workings among the trees and things, but you can't tell how it's happening. And Joseph said it happens by religious ordinances. Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to follow? With that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we uh, seek you, we love you, and need you in our lives. Uh, I need you here. Help me with uh, the things I say that they'll be in accordance with your will. Help our callers, our viewing audience, wherever they may be that we may uh, introduce them, if they don't know you, Lord, to the only true and living God and the relationship you want to have with every single individual on this earth, Lord. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're at the point where the Book of Mormonian is about to come forth in its first printing. We... <laughs> you, you don't always have laughing students here, so I'll try to keep my... We know that if Joseph Smith started in on transcribing it in September of 1828, before Oliver Cowdery arrived, he would have produced two pages a day until he finished it in 1829 with Oliver by his side, okay? Now, if he had waited for Oliver to arrive by his side, they would have had to produce nine pages a day until the book was complete in July of 1829. Two pages or nine pages, the LDS say, how did they produce this book? It's nine pages of written text? I could even do that. So it's not that big of a deal, especially if he had everything lined up beforehand. So let's talk about that. Uh, I know I've been redundant in the past few weeks on the topic of the Book of Mormonian, but uh, a very serious investigator of the validity of the book must ask themselves, ask yourself, could I 
or could somebody with a great imagination have produced a book like, a, like the Book of uh, Mormon? Could they have done it? Okay. Before you answer, here are some things that have to be included in your attempt or that imaginative person's attempt. From a very young age, you had to be exposed to constant biblical teachings by your mother who was fanatically devout and religious. Uh, you had to have spent a considerable amount of time personally as a child and through your teen years at religious revivals, observing the religiously inclined, their claims, their speech patterns, their divisions, and the difficulties among them, and incorporated those themes into some of your book. You had to have honed some skills from a very young age in convincing people that you could see spirits and treasures beneath the earth by looking into a stone either in a hat or in your hands. Okay? You have to claim that you were shown golden plates nearly seven years before producing one page of your manuscript. You were shown in vision seven plates and then physically. In other words, this means you had six years minimum to create an outline for this book you are going to come forth with. You had to have had a brother, Hiram, who later became a witness of these plates, supposedly, <laughs> who received an early education from what would become Dartmouth College, who might have been able to contribute to your efforts. From a young age, you have to have been exposed to serious discussions in the neighborhood and villages and towns and newspapers regarding the origins of the American Indians. You have to have read books about the topic, about Indian mounds in that area. You have to have actually been involved in seeking for buried treasures supposedly left behind by these ancient peoples well before you started to talk about these gold plates or producing a book about them. You had to possess the innate ability to entertain your family with description of these ancient lands, dress, customs, governess, wars, and cities years before even beginning to write your book. All factual stuff. You and your family also had to have a keen interest dating all the way back to your parents that Jesus was going to restore his church in the Americas. And you have to include in the themes of this restored book, uh, you have to include the themes in your new restored book. And these themes were popularized by a guy named Alexander Campbell when you were a kid. Alexander Campbell said that this new restored religion in America would include a rejection of paid clergy, titles, and denominationalism, a rejection of Calvinistic theology, the restored church using only the name of Jesus Christ in its title, a belief that God's kingdom was to be established in the Americas, a process known as building Zion, a rejection of all Christian creeds, a belief in an apostasy and a need for a reformation, a faith and works doctrine, a focus on sequential acts that lead to salvation, a frontier-based spirit of self-reliance, a restitution of tithing, a refocus on Sabbath day activities, a need for the Bible to be retranslated, the repulsion of secret societies and combinations, and the agrarian attitude, meaning people should work with their hands, and a strong anti-Catholic themes. Alexander Campbell introduced these things. Joseph Smith included all of those themes in his book called The Book of Mormon. Then, from your ready, readily accessed newspaper, periodicals, books, and discussions relative to the origins of make ancient Americans, you brashly include information in your book too. These borrowings include the apocryphal writings included in many early American Bibles, particularly the Book of Maccabees, uh, and the Bible itself, quotes from the Bible in this book. James Adair, History of the American Indian. You had to have been able to take information from that book and put it into yours. 
uh, Josephus, War of the Jews, Ethan Smith, View of the Hebrews, articles from the October 22nd, 1823, Wayne Sentinel are found in the Book of Mormon. Sentences, quotations, possibly things from Solomon Spaulding's uh, manuscript found. The preface to the King James Bible printed in 1769 and the Golden Pot by Etta Hoffman. All sources of information to include in this book you're working on. Without fear, you will also uh, allow yourself to include a whole bunch of political themes popular in America during his day, including the frontier ideals uh, to ward off the enemies of anarchy and tyranny uh, from the New Republic, a person's dedication to personal industriousness, again, the agrarian approach to labor, a virtue of avoiding luxury and not wearing fine apparel, the rejection of secret combinations and groups like the Masons, a disdain for lawyers and merchants, and a hatred for those who practiced priestcraft. All of those major themes in magazines, in newspapers, and in books at Joseph Smith's time, all of those themes fitting into the Book of Mormonian. Then you have uh, to have a relative, you have to have a relative, whose hometown pastor actually wrote most uh, the most popular book in America at the time, The View of the Hebrews. His pastor wrote that book, and he comes and he lives with your parents, and then he comes and he sits by your side, and his name's Oliver Cowdery, and he helps write this book called The Book of Mormon. Okay? Are you going to be able to do it? Could you on your own, with all that history, background, experience, and innate talent, compose a book like this? The LDS always say, how did Joseph write the book? We don't know. We don't know. But we don't know how he wrote the book any more than we know how Muhammad wrote the Quran, or Hitler prepared Mein Kampf, or the Bronte sisters wrote gorgeous prose, or uh, Karl Marx wrote Das Kapital. We don't know how they did it. How did they do it? We don't know. But it came forward and he had a lot of help. At least Das Kapital was original. This stuff borrowed from everything. What we do know, however, is what helped uh, Hitler and, and uh, Marx and Bronte sisters, uh, Muhammad. We know what motivated them. We know what enabled them. We know what encouraged them. And we know the experience that they had that helped create their mindset and their works. We know these things by examining what experiences they had, what influences they were exposed to, and what resources they used. And this holds very true for Joseph Smith and his book of Mormon. So, after Oliver Cowdery joined Joseph, the Book of Mormonian was completed and ready for publication by June of 1829. We've discussed uh, the planting, the watering, the weeding, and the complete cultivation of the Book of Mormon, Mormonian over these past few uh, number of months. We've chased away the varmints that threatened its survival. Next week, we're going to unearth the product, examine it generally, and then we're going to see if it is... Um, healthy enough to eat and consume and ingest. Let's open up the phoniest Lineuses, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. We love LDS callers. We want first-time callers. And again, again, the heart of the matter rule. No consuming large quantities of alcohol or smoking the ganj before calling into the show. Thank you. Okay, uh, while we wait for operators to clear your calls, Let's cover a few things. First and foremost, how about this bright spot? Uh, magazine named Salt Lake City, America's gayest city. 
<laughs> I get accused of it. I might as well. This says. Salt Lake City ranks high for having the LGBT, I'm not going to say LGBT, I'm going to say Ligbit. They have an, a Ligbit, Salt Lake City has a Ligbit bookstore, a nude yoga class, oh that sounds interesting, a semi-finalist in the International Mr. Leather competition, a men's beauty pageant featuring black leather apparel and frequent performances by the Ligbit favored bands, and I'm not going to say what they are. It says, uh, we rate these cities because they have made a great amount of progress over the last 10 years. Uh, and that's how they got this. It says, we think this recognition is good for Salt Lake City. Um, nationally, people just can't imagine that we're in Ligbit friendly community and I think this really breaks that stereotype of what people think Salt Lake is like and what Utah is like. Salt Lake City in fact ranks third nationally among mid-sized cities for its rate of gay and lesbian couples 17.3 uh, per thousand households. So this is going to be interesting. We're going to see as this community continues to grow in the Mecca of Mormonism how Mormonism is going to handle it. How, what, what is going to happen in this? And, and how they're going to handle all the issues that come along with it. We know at one time they stood strongly against uh, gay, lesbian marriage in California. Let's see. It's going to be interesting to sit back and watch how a humanist church, a humanist organization, that's what they are, how they start to respond to this in the, in the years to come. Uh, no, we're going to keep on going here. Listen, we have uh, an email, and this is from Richard. He says... Isn't it true, Sean, that Mormons refuse to allow themselves to be called Christians until sometimes, sometime in the mid-1900s? That's his question. Let me give you a couple quotes. Brigham Young said, The people called Christians are shrouded in ignorance and read the scriptures with darkened understandings. That's all you guys, by the way. Uh, this, Brigham Young also said, Should you ask why we differ from other Christians, as they are called, it's simply because they are not Christian as New Testament defines Christianity. John Taylor, LDS president, uh, president, said, what does the Christian world know about God? Nothing. Nothing. This is from their leaders, okay? Joseph F. Smith said, uh, let's see, for I contend that the Latter-day Saints are the only good and true Christians on the face of the earth. This is their attitude. Oh no, no, this is their attitude. This is what I grew up on before they started getting really politically involved to try to be seen as Christians by the true body of Christ. This is what I cut my teeth on and I can assure you every active faithful Latter-day Saint believes they are the only true Christians on the face of the earth. You want more? You want more? Okay. First president said talking about Christianity, it cannot stand. It cannot prevail. Monstrous as its power is, great as its growth is, coextensive with the world, it may be said, it nevertheless is destined to tumble with Babylon the Great. It must go down. It has not the elements of strength. And the great cause of its weakness is that God is not with it. God's power does not occupy it. That's from the first presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
Um, let's see, the apostles, one apostle said, Parley P. Pratt, the sooner the present generation loses all reverence and respect for modern Christianity with all of its powerless forms and solemn mockeries, the sooner they will be prepared to receive the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you something, you guys. This stuff, you know, we're reading. Uh, I got to read two more. I just, I got to read one more. Bruce R. McConkie, Mormon apostle when I was growing up, quote, Virtually all the millions of apostate Christendom have abased themselves before the mythical throne of a mythical Christ whom they vainly suppose to be a spirit essence who is incorporeal, uncreated, immaterial, and three in one with the Father and Holy Spirit. That's an apostle who's never seen Jesus and didn't die for him. An apostle, uh, 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 Bruce R. McConkie, who said that when I was a kid. And so that is, that is in the hearts because they have the ordinances, they have the priesthood, they have everything that is needed in order, according to Joseph and all of them, to get to heaven. And so when they look at the Christian community, all they are doing is playing a word game with you. That's all they're doing. They, they say, we're Christian, we're Christian too. They've never wanted to be Christian, like Richard said. Never, ever wanted to be. They distanced themselves all the way up until the 1975, 1978. And then they started to do this PR campaign. Why? Because they want to put somebody into office. Because by putting somebody into the highest office in the nation, they are going to get more notoriety, more people will believe they're Christian, more people will accept their ways, and slowly they will continue to dominate the world of religion, and they do a good job at dominating religion. Okay, uh, let's see, we have someone on, something here asked, Sam asked if the law of consecration is a contemporary support mechanism for the United Order. Was a contemporary support mechanism. Yeah, uh, what he's talking about is, uh, the LDS have a law of consecration where in the temple, they consecrate all their time, talents, and energies, all their money, all the money that they make, will make, all the blessings that they have to the building up of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints here on earth. This is one of the problems that we have with a Mormon president because any Mormon president who's gone through the temple, not saying that any Mormon president running today has, I'm not sure, but if a Mormon president had running, who was running today had gone through the temple, he raised his arm to the square and he said, listen, I will give all of my everything always first to the building up of the Mormon church. Everything else that I do is secondary, including the presidency of the United States. And so that law of consecration that, right, that caller was asking, is that a preface to the United Order? The United Order is when the group of LDS people early in the church gave everything into a communal pot. It was like communism uh, in, a, in supposedly an effective way, but it didn't work. And so the Mormons, because the, law, the United Order did not work, they backed off and they imposed the law of tithing 10% on your annual income, on your annual increase. Uh, and, and that has stepped back and taken it uh, the place of the United Order. Ultimately, the LDS from my readings believe that they will once again live the United Order. Another reason to be fearful of somebody who is in high office, high ranking uh, in, in uh, politics. Okay, uh, Jason writes, Sean, why do you hate the Mormon church? Why, also, why have you, why do you make money bashing on what taught you good values? Okay. Uh, let me tell you something about good value. First, let me talk about making money. Shut up. I'm so sick of that. You have no idea the debt that we've gone into and how much sacrifice. 
not just me, everybody goes to to keep this show going. So shut up about the money thing. You want to look at money, look at your 10% on the gross income that you command people to have in order to go to the temple to get their new and everlasting covenant to then be ready to become gods. Talk about a business scheme. That's a scheme. So don't talk to me about money and talk to me about the books that your apostles charge for and this new book by your prophet to the rescue. <laughs> uh, you know, and you talk to me about making money on this little TV station trying to reach people for the Lord. So shut up about the money. Okay, but here's the thing. Why do I bash on a church that taught me good values? I want to ask you something. Do good values mean anything in the world if I'm going to go to hell? Do they mean anything? They mean nothing. In fact, those good values in my mind translate to bad values. They translate to bad fruit. I'll tell you why. When I was taught to live these good values that you speak of, I thought myself superior to my lower bastardized Christian relatives. I thought myself better because I followed the Christian values and I was superior in my walk. And they, what they did is they served as a roadblock to me seeing Jesus and my need for him. So what the LDS do is they impose this idea of the ubermensch on people. You can become a superman and people look for that ideal and they seek to become that ideal. All the while their, their, their pride and their arrogance grows and grows and grows and they look back over their shoulder and Jesus is just like a little footnote. I mean, he you, you steal a cookie and Jesus comes in and wipes up the mess and that's what they use him for, a little sin janitor. He comes in and fixes the little things you might make mistakes on, but he does not really, isn't really needed for you as a whole. What the LDS don't understand is their whole person is corrupt, totally corrupted, okay? Whether good values are present or not. And so that's what I say to the church that taught me good values. I wish I would have taught, went to a church that said, Jesus is the only way. The Lord Jesus Christ is your way to salvation and none other. I wish I went to a church that taught me to sing praises to him. I wish I went to a church that said, listen, you're going to sin. And he came and he gave his life for you. And I could grow up in gratitude for him rather than competition with him. You understand? Okay. We're going to go to William in Kearns, Utah online. Yeah. And uh, I'm telling you what, I can't wait to get out of this state. I hate it. That's <laughs> <laughs> the truth. Hey, I think I picked the wrong line. Hold on one sec. All right, we're going to pause you. What was that? Oh, this is Sean. You're on the air. He just hung up. Oh, on the air? Well, you are on accident. You want to talk right now? Uh, sure, why not? I, I, I didn't really have, I was just asking what was the deal with your... Uh, you, you were starting a new church thing that I... I was trying to figure out what was going on. It's a new cult. With that, because I called before and, 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 I, and I was saying something about it. You were, we were talking about cults, and I said, "Yeah, well, this and that," you know. And, and you were talking about, "Yeah, well, everything's a cult or something like that." So I was mentioning, you know, some other churches or whatever that was on board with your deal. Yeah, everything is with is your new thing. So every, I was just trying to figure out what was going on with it. Who now? Who? What's your name? Uh, Scott. Scott. Everything. Uh, everything has its cultural. That's where we get that word cult. Cultural implications, right? And we're kind uh, of on a spectrum uh, here. Okay, we have a bunch of students from Biola. Biola has a culture. It's the Biola culture. And if you fit in with it, you do better than if you don't fit in with it, okay? And that's how it works with everything. Your job, your community, there's cultures, okay? Yeah. So, uh -huh. yeah, uh, but there are, there are very bad and evil cults. And Robert J. Lifton uh, studied cults in Japan, in China for 20 years, Dr. Robert Lifton, and he came up with uh, nine or 12 sure 
surefire signs that you're in a cult, in a bad, uh, evil, mind-controlling cult. And, and those are uh, listed in our book, uh, uh, I Was a Born Again Mormon, but you can go online to Google and just look up Dr. Robert J. Lifton, and then you'll really see what an evil cult is about. So were you asking that in reference to the church we started? No, I, I just thought it was strange the way you, you're presenting your new uh, movement thing. Because I thought, I, see, I thought you were from Calvary Chapel, because I'm a Calvary Chapel guy. And uh, I didn't realize that you really went to their, uh, uh, you said you went to their uh, school or whatever. Because yeah. I, I, I thought you were affiliated and went to the Calvary Chapel Church. And I didn't know that. And then when you said, oh, I'm going to come up with this new thing, and, I, and it kind of sounded different to me. I mean, different. So I, I, I kind of, well, that kind of sounded cult, cultures to me. And, and I confronted you on it one time when I talked what, to you before, wait, and uh, Scott, you were like, oh, yeah, because I, I brought up the few of the churches that Scott, were on board here. Scott. And I brought up... Um, they never listened to me, ever. Well, my, my current ex-wife goes to, uh, they, they're called the Genesis Project up there, and they're, they, they're up there in Ogden, they consider them a cult, <laughs> which I think is kind of weird anyway, but I mean, they're okay, they're like affiliated with K2, but they're still not like Calvary Chapel, I don't know. To me, they're not. Anyway, so. So anyway, Scott. I just brought it up at one point in time. One time when I was on your show. Scott, listen. I just, uh, listen. If the fact that we get together and we study the Bible verse by verse, and we don't, uh, and, and 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 we uh, sing music. Calvary Chapel does. No. Yeah. Yeah. That that doesn't really make us a cult, does it? What makes us so cultish? No, 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 no. I thought Calvary Chapel was a great movement. And what I'm saying is I thought your new thing that you were starting sounded like it was different than that whole thing. So Yeah, it is different than that whole thing. Why don't you come see it and then call us, okay? Come see that. it. Come visit us and see what you think, and then, and then we can talk. Yeah, yeah, okay. Where are you guys at exactly? Are you in the same uh, place you were before? Because I couldn't even find that other place. Yeah, go to www.campus.com. There's hyphens between the letters. Go to that, and it will give you directions. Okay? Yeah. All right, man. Thanks. Oh, no problem. Thanks a lot. I, I didn't even know I was going to talk to you, so I don't know how I got to do that. So Neither do I. Appreciate it. <laughs> Sorry about that, Sean. Thanks. Okay, bye. Yeah. All right. Um, we're going to go to William uh, Kearns. Uh, he's online, too. William from Kearns, Utah. What's up? Hey, what's up, Sean? Did you get a haircut? <laughs> I did, yeah. You look good. You look, you look like an RM. Thank, yeah, well, I'm, I go for uh, every every look. But anyway, so I was just saying... I am an RM, thing, by the way. I, was gonna, I just want to ask you, uh, what do you call it? When, uh, when was the defining moment? Because you went to... You went on a mission, right? Yeah. What made you, like, you know, start to doubt... <laughs> The whole LDS thing. <laughs> Everybody, William, uh, has a different reason that opens their eyes. Uh, Sometimes it's just the Lord will, will tell somebody who's sitting in sacrament meeting, this is a lie. Sometimes it will be the fact that they've been disillusioned or they study church history. They go to utlm.org, find out truth about that. Bottom line, really, you honestly want to know what led me to uh, out of Mormonism and into the truth? Well, yeah, you know. My I mean, sin. You were pretty deep in it. You went on a mission, right? I went on a mission, married in the temple, all the stuff, served the callings. But my sin, it led me out of Mormonism because Mormonism could not tell me how to overcome my sin nature. 
It would say, come to church more. It would say, are you paying your tithing? Go to the temple and sit in the celestial room with all your stuff on and, and, and contemplate uh, Mormonism. Did you read this? Are you doing that? All of that stuff does not change the human heart. My human heart is sinful. I am possibly one of the most sinful men you've ever met. I'm a man of passions. I am, I am the lowest of low, where Jesus is the highest of high and the best. I am the lowest of low. And, and if I didn't have the Lord with me and I was doing this show, it would be a disaster. I would have eaten that microphone by now. It's just a nightmare what happens when I'm in my flesh. And Mormonism could not fix it. Now, what they could do is dress it up. You know, I can put on a white shirt and tie and cut the hair and I can look and get rid of this and I can look real handsome and real sharp and real together. But my heart is sinister and I knew it. And so as a Mormon, I could not come to an understanding of what would save me. And it was that point when I realized what a wretch I was, honestly, and then I heard who Jesus is, honestly, that gap closed and I was born again. That's how it happened, William. Yeah. Does that help? William? Yeah. Hey, so let me ask you something. It says on the screen you're ex-LDS. What are you doing in your life? Well, I just, you know, I'm pretty inactive. Like, I might, I grew up on it. I grew up in St. George. Yeah. And uh, the, the town shut down on Sunday, you know. Like, everybody, all my friends went on missions. How about you? Uh, at the time, I wasn't living right, and I decided not to go. And I crushed my mom and... Yeah. She was really, you know, heartbroken. It really messed me up, too, telling her no, that I, I wasn't worthy to go on their mission. But uh, That's hard, huh? Yeah, it was pretty rough. And ever since then, I've been kind of just kind of out of it. How long ago was that, William? Well, that, yeah, this was over 10 years ago. So now you're probably 28, 29, 30? Uh, yeah, I'm 30 now. I'm just kind of... Are you married? <laughs> yeah, married, got kids, the whole shebang. How, how many kids? Four kids. Four kids, Wow. Yeah. When you figure uh, out how that's happening, stop. I mean, (laughs) just kidding. A little joke. Uh, Listen, William. William, I want to ask you something. You there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How open are you to discovering truth? How open are you to having your your life do an about change and you become a man that your wife will love you more than than she already does, your children will respect you more than they already do, and you will have a peace... Be, as you walk through this life that is not there if you haven't done it. How willing and open are you? Yeah, I'm pretty open to it. Okay. Well, so this is the, this is the challenge, William. And I'm going to tell you what the challenge is, and you tell me when you want to do it, okay? All right. All right. The challenge is this. You go and you say, God, I don't know if you're there or, or what you want from me, what is truth. I want to be forgiven of my sin. I ask you that Jesus will forgive me of my sin, that you will come into my life, give me a new heart, help me to see the truth, give me new eyes, and I will wait for you to do that. And and if you sincerely, honestly are willing to open your heart up that way, William, you have nothing to lose. I don't get anything from this. You don't have to tell me you do it. If you want to do it on the air, we'll do it. You do it alone in your bedroom and while you're driving in your car. It doesn't matter. When your heart really wants to know, you have the right bought by Jesus Christ's blood for you. He came here and he gave you the right to petition God directly. You go directly to him yourself and you say, I want to know truth. And guess what? You sit back and wait. And watch and he will begin to show you and you're gonna have things happen I tell you I'm a guy telling you William I was in the same boat and I'm a completely different 
completely at peace man compared to what I was because I took that challenge. Do you want to do it? Or you want to do it on your own? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll take you up on it. Okay, you want to go through it now or you want to go and do it on your own in your own uh, bedroom or car or whatever? No, yeah, yeah. You're speaking to me, man. I'll probably do it do it on my own on your own i'm willing to do it with you now it's and it's not that the prayer does it it's your heart that god sees but the prayer it, it, the bible says william simply if you william believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that jesus is lord you will be saved then you do that you trust in it and you wait for god to give you new eyes all right so you go do it yeah i'll do it well i mean I'll do it on my own. Okay. okay. <laughs> then do me a, that's okay. I understand. William, uh, email me. Uh, go online. It's at hotm.tv. Email me and tell me how you're doing. We'll talk through email and just say this is William from the show. And if anybody else writes me and says they're William from the show and says they're going to, I'm going to find your IP number and send Derek after you. And then it's trouble. All right, William? Nope. All right. We're going to be praying for you, William. I can tell you right now there's at least... Uh, at least 5,000, maybe 10,000 people who are going to be praying for William uh, that the Lord will touch you. You got it? Um, what's the email? Uh, www.hotm.tv and the email's on it. .tv. Yep. All right, cool. God bless, God bless my brother. Bye-bye. Allen West Valley, thoughts on why you don't think Joseph Smith was a true prophet? Uh, Al, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hello. How you doing? Good, how are you? Hmm. Good. Oh, hold on, hold on. Let me put this TV on mute. That... <laughs> That'd be a good idea. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. It's on mute. You're on mute? I'm on mute. I'm good to go. All right, you're on the air, Alan. Or Al. Okay, listen. Um, I'm calling because I wanted to know why the LDS Church uh, has different TV shows weekly and twice a week about Joseph Smith being a true prophet. And also, I would like to know um, how come you fell away from the LDS Church, but you're still uh, really into the Lord Jesus Christ? Hmm. Am I being is this uh, am I being too is this too hard of a question? No, uh, let me rephrase it to see if I'm on the right track. Part A is why does the LDS Church keep doing television programs about Joseph Smith? Yeah. And part B is how come I'm still uh, into Jesus Christ even though I left Mormonism? Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Question A: The LDS Church. Uh, grew from its seed, its tree, its fruit, its leaves, its roots are all Joseph Smith. Right, right. And so they are going to always constantly promote and defend and obfuscate the truth regarding Joseph, only giving partial truths about him because if they gave the full thing, the church would never survive. So they do... Uh, go ahead. Uh, okay, I hear you on, on that part, but what about... Um I mean, they just make such a big deal out of him. Yeah, they do. They really do. And, and it's really unfortunate. Um, do you believe that he was a true prophet? No. Um, I, I used to believe that Joseph Smith had good intentions when he started. 
Uh, that was in my younger years uh, after coming out of Mormonism. I now believe Joseph was a charlatan from the get-go. He was taught to be a charlatan by his father. It didn't work when he pretended to find buried gold, and he found that he could oh, get... Okay, a charlatan meaning that he was just basically a scam artist? Yeah, he was a scam artist. He learned to be a scam artist from his father, and then it didn't work there, so he applied it to religion. And when he saw people bit into it, he just elaborated more and more and more. I don't think Joseph Smith himself could believe that people bought into the stuff that he did. Uh, but that's my opinion, and I think it's based on fact. If someone can prove it to me differently, I would love to hear it. What about, what about if you spoke with uh, President Monson? Do well, you think he could persuade you in any direction? Well, let me tell you something since you're on the air, and stay with me, okay? I'm going to talk for about two minutes. Give me two minutes. Oh, you okay. got it, bud. Okay. President Monson, this is from Connie Radden, who hosts a web blog, www.theensignversusthebible.blogspot.com. It's an excellent blog. And she covers Thomas Monson's uh, January message to the world. Do you know what his message was about, Al? His message was about uh, seeking and becoming successful. Monson writes, listen to this, to his congregate. He's the prophet. This is a prophet of God writing. This is what he says. Just as we learn the ABCs in school, I offer my own ABCs to help us gain the abundant life. Okay? A is my AB, in my ABCs refers to attitude. B is for belief in yourself, in those around you, and in eternal principles. And C is for courage. This is a prophet of God? This guy is an insane man who is lying in God's name. Any prophet of God would say, listen, you want to know how to live the abundant life? You come to Jesus Christ, you humble yourself, you follow him, you give yourself to him. You don't, you don't become, you don't have an attitude. You don't have an attitude of gratitude and <laughs> believe in yourself. Don't believe in yourself at all. Believe in those around you and in eternal principles. Where's Jesus in Monson's message? I don't give one wit about President Monson. Okay, I'll calm down. Now, what was the second part? Okay, and what about, you know, uh, okay, see, from, uh, when I was growing up, it was like, uh, I guess I was like 12 <laughs> to 15 years old, and David O. McKay was the president of the church. Yeah. He was like sacred. Yeah, he was, wearing his white suits and flying his white jet plane. And he was the last of the charismatic LDS prophets, in my opinion. After that, they became a corporation and they became a three-piece dark suit and tie. But McKay was... Then was then that's when they come up the Mormon Church office building and they just... Now, now they're just a big corporation. Am I right or am I wrong? They, I think you're exactly right. Now, listen, one more thing, Al. We're going to move on to the next caller. Um, okay. Uh, and that is, I am a... Christian, dyed in the wool, uh, love the Lord, uh, will live my life uh, to, to serve Him because uh, He has been calling to me and He's been calling to you and He's been calling to everybody. And my prayers, is, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt, but it seems like my prayers seem to get answered regular. Oh, well, I'm sure they do. You know, God sends His reign to fall on the just and the unjust. He loves all His creations. He's going to answer prayers. The question is, do you have a relationship with him, Al? Are you born again? Do you, do you know him? Do you realize if you die, you're going to go straight to heaven? Or do you think you, you aren't? Where are you going to go? 
I think that I'm a good Christian, I'm a good uh, person, I treat people like I would like to be treated, and I do go attend the LDS Church up until the last couple of months, but I still say my prayers, I still believe I'm a good Christian, and I do the things that are right. Hey, listen, I don't Al, steal, Al, I don't lie, I, I treat people like I would like to be treated. Al, you sound like a really nice man, you sound like a, a, a sweet man, if I can use that phrase. Uh, in light of the fact that Utah is the gayest city in America, but you, you sound like a very nice man who I would love. But listen, let me tell you something. It, it's really not how everything is with your outward stuff. The Pharisees with their outward stuff, they were right on the law. But it's, it's your heart. Now, does your heart ever sin, Al? Do you ever look on that little hottie on the internet or uh, out on the out on the uh, baseball diamond out there? In, uh, uh, let me tell you, uh, I, I'm an ex-professional baseball player, but I also uh, I I don't I'm not computer literate, and I don't have a computer, so I don't go on the internet at all. But. Well, in other words, Al, do you lust? And if you don't lust, have you ever told a lie? And if you don't tell a lie, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I've lied a ton of times in my life. Okay. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times I've lied. Okay, so then what saves you well, from... Not, not so much lies, but, you know... Tonight's yeah. a night of interrupters. It's just... Uh, Al, what saves you from those sins? Um, I don't know. I've been, a, I've been a great guy in my life, and I've been a bad guy in my life. Yeah. So, neither one, you neither know, one's going to help you. a burglar or a robber or anything like that, but I cheated on my first wife, and... Okay. I've just been a bad guy that way. Okay, you know listen. What I mean? Yeah, Al, listen. I want to. I want to give you the same challenge I gave the caller before. I, I want you and call next week. We'll let a second time caller you get on. I, I want you to go to the Lord and say, Lord, give me new life. Give me a new heart. Let me know that I am saved. I realize I've tried to live a good life, but I've made mistakes. I've been a sinful person. I need Jesus' blood to cover my sins, and I want to be born again. Will you go and do that? You bet I would. In the New York Minute. Okay, you go and do it in the New York Minute. Call us back next week. You wait on the Lord. You trust in Him to take care of your sin, not yourself. You wait on Him to do it, and then let's talk next week. Okay, Al? All right, you got it, buddy. And uh, it's, it's been an honor speaking with you. I, I watch you all the time, and uh, this is really cool. You too, Al. God bless you, my brother. Okay, you take care, man. Okay, bye-bye. He was a nice man. Pray for Al as well. Who, who was the first, William? William? William and Al, you guys. Everybody praying for William and Al that they will come to know the Lord. Connie and Ogden, she is LDS. Connie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Um, yes, I would like to talk to Sean. Just one moment, please. <laughs> Hello, you're on Heart of the Matter. Um, yes, yeah, Sean, this is Connie Hurd, and um, I'm from Ogden, and I just want to make a comment saying um, that I'm sick of you calling LDS people not Christians because I am. I sin every day and I know the Savior loves me and he died for me. Connie, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, Connie. I don't know you um, and I am not well, saying... I hear it every week when you tell me. Connie, you, it, I, I, I would be doing the Lord and every viewer a disservice if I said Mormonism is Christian, because it's a lie. Mormonism is not Christian in its doctrines or its praxis. But you, 
Maybe, Connie. I don't know. But tell me, how, what makes you... Listen, Connie, guys, Connie, I know you're upset. He's the one and only. He is the one and only. Do you have to do anything to, to live with uh, Heavenly Father again, Connie? Um, I just do what I believe. Well, you can't just do what you believe. We have a whole manual here that tells us what we have to do. I mean, a lot of people do what they believe, Connie. I just, I just want to follow the Savior because I know He's in my heart and He takes my sins away from me because I sin every day. Okay, well, I love that attitude. And, and I'm not standing here as your judge saying Connie is not Christian. But listen, my dear. Uh, don't you find it interesting that the religion which you're calling and defending says, listen, if you're going to be acceptable to this, this Lord that you love so much, you have to pay them 10%. You have to obey a Sabbath day, which isn't a Sabbath day. You've got to be worthy to go into their temple, to be married for time and all eternity, receive the new and everlasting covenant. Doesn't it trouble you that they say you have to accept uh, books that are ex extra of the Bible? Don't those things ever bother you, Connie? No, not really. Because of, I believe what I believe. I know the Bible to be true. I know I chose this way. Okay, you chose that I way. Choose. Okay, look, there are people, listen, there are people who choose other Christian denominations that are viewed as regular Christian denominations that are insane. And they stay in those and they are believers. So you may be one of them, Connie. I am not saying you are not a Christian. But I am saying if you say Jesus is a created being, the brother of Satan, and you have to do all these works in order to earn and merit celestial kingdom life, you are far afield from what Jesus' book says. That's not what his book says, Connie, and you are off the mark of that. And so I would love to say, it's okay, you're a Christian, you're a Christian, hang up, have fun with it. But I can't. Go ahead. I would like to follow some of the things that Jesus taught, like loving others, choose to follow Jesus. Connie, will you stay on the phone and let us get your address? Are you a reader at all? Yes, I am. Okay, this is not anti-Mormon. I have books that are much stronger. This is a very easy book, and we want to send you that, and you just read it. And in that book, I even say, hey, if you want to stay Mormon, stay Mormon. That's in that book. So why don't you read it, and it talks about some of these differences and see what you think. Is that okay? That's okay. All right. Thank you for your sweet... I'm going to use that twice tonight. One for a man and one for a woman. This is Salt Lake City, baby. Uh, just kidding, Connie. Stay on the line, and we're going to get your address, and then we'll send that book out to you. Okay. Thank you, Sean. Okay. God bless you. All right. Listen, uh, we love you. We're grateful for what God is uh, doing through you. We pray for Connie. We pray for William. We pray for Al. And we pray for the state that it will catch on fire with the truth of Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Thank <laughs> you.